Well, good, uh, I think it's afternoon, everyone. Uh, again, thanks for, thanks for joining us. I'm using a handheld mic because after the second service, or really during the first two, I broke my, uh, my, my headset mic, or it broke. I like to think that I was preaching so hard that I just broke my mic, right? And so we're going a little old school using the handheld today, uh, and that will be just fine. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. We're continuing our, our walk through this, uh, this gospel. I mentioned we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke really through much of the spring. Um, it'll take us on through Easter. I love walking through books of the Bible, and so I'm really excited about the journey that we find ourselves on. I hope that you are enjoying this as well. Uh, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 5. As you're turning there, I just wanted to kind of, I don't know, give a shout out or say thanks to all the guys that came to Recon yesterday. We had like 140 plus men here yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just giving up, a, giving up a little bit of their Saturday to come. We had a great time of worship, hearing all those deep baritone voices sing out and love Jesus and a message. And some guys got together. Uh, one of the, I think it was a small group of guys that brought their Traegers up here and grilled some stuff for us. And it was really, really good. We had some, some food and some fun. And so anyway, we're hoping, of course, in the years to come to get back to being able to go to a, a, a retreat and spend a few, few nights. But, but it was really great to get to be able to, to be up here with, with some men and... and um, so guys, thanks for, thanks for coming and being a part of that. Um, in Luke 5, what I want to share with you today is there's two stories in particular that I want to look at. Each of these stories really could be messages in and of themselves. There's, there's certainly lessons to be learned from each story, but we're walking through a gospel that's kind of long and, and we're going to have to skip certain parts. And so whenever possible, I want to try to combine some stories together. And so there's two stories here we're going to look at, and there are some common sort of chords or threads that really tie these stories together that I think uh, provide for us some, some valuable lessons, all right? So we're going to look at two stories. The first one is in chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. This is the story of Jesus healing a, a paralyzed man or a paralytic, okay? And so here's what it says. On one of those days, he, that's Jesus, was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal now, Mark's account of this exact same story makes sure he lets us know that they were meeting in a home, okay? They weren't meeting in the tabernacle or synagogue. They were meeting in a home. And so get the picture, really crowded home. Um, Jesus is teaching. All the, all the religious leaders are gathered there kind of on the front row, and that's what's, uh, that's what's going on, okay? We'll move on. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and he picked up what he had been lying on and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they were uh, they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. You think? <laughs> so that's story number one, right? Story number one, 
Jesus is in a home. His popularity at this point was, was crazy. People wanted to hear Jesus teach. They had heard that he can perform miracles. They had heard that he can heal people. And so he's in the middle of this home, and he's teaching the Bible. And all of a sudden, the roof tiles start to move, and a hole, and then a bigger hole. And then there's a guy being lowered down through the roof right in front of Jesus while he's teaching. That's a hard thing to ignore, right? Like if the roof just opened up while I'm preaching, I would no longer have y'all's attention, right? It would, it would go to the big hole in the ceiling. So that's what happens. They lower the guy down right in front of Jesus. And then Jesus, man, he forgives the guy's sins and he heals the guy and he picks up his mat and he walks out the door. Sounds like a really cool story. All right, that's story number one, okay? The next story right after that, verse 27. It says, after this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance, okay? Story number two, Jesus leaves and he goes out and there's a tax collector. Now, tax collectors, we've talked about them before. I won't belabor the point, but they were hated. They were despised. They were viewed as sellouts uh, by their own country. They had essentially um, bought into this. The Roman, uh, the Roman regime was using these guys to tax their own people to fund the brutal Roman Regime. And so tax collectors were the worst of the worst, outcast, despised, and hated. And Jesus sees Levi there at the tax booth, and he's like, you're going to be on my team. I want you to follow me. And he leaves the tax booth. He leaves his life of sin, and then he throws a big party, right? He throws a party, and he has Jesus over, and all of his low-life friends come over, and Jesus is hanging out with like the worst crowd. And the religious people stand back at a distance, and they grumble and complain and say, I can't believe you would even hang out with those people. What are you doing in that house, right? That's, that's the two stories in a nutshell. So what are some things that sort of tie these stories together? As I was, un, I was reading these this week, and I wanted to put these together because I think Luke is setting up some things for us um, that are going to be sort of themes throughout his gospel, all right? The first one, I'll, I'll kind of I'll piggyback on a point Austin made last week as he started out his sermon. Austin said that it was the pattern of Jesus, the practice of Jesus, to attend the synagogue. Remember? It was the regular habit and pattern of Jesus to attend the synagogue. And the point was simple. If it's important for Jesus to attend the synagogue regularly, church, it's also important for you and me to attend church, right? That's just a really clear, easy point. Jesus saw it as important to go to the synagogue. You and I see it as important to be a part of the church, to to, uh, to attend services. So congratulations, you've all passed, right? You're all here. So that's step one, right? Jesus went to church, okay? I wanna take it a step further though because there's another pattern in these two stories and elsewhere in the gospels where not only did Jesus make it a regular habit and pattern of his life to attend the synagogue, but he made it a regular habit and pattern of his life to meet in homes with smaller groups of people. Some of you know where I'm going with this, right? Jesus made it a regular habit and pattern of his life to get together in homes with smaller groups of people. And both of these stories show that. The first one, he's literally in a home that is crowded and he's teaching the Bible. He's having a small group, right? Listen, if Jesus is your small group leader, that's a really good small group. Go to that one, okay? 
If Jesus even shows up at your small group, that's a really good small group, right? Jesus is in the home. He's unpacking the scriptures. But we see that, that getting together in smaller groups to teach was, was really important. In the second story, of course, uh, Matthew, his life is changed when he meets Jesus. He leaves his life of, of sin and tax collecting, and then he holds a party and he invites Jesus. And I could go on and on. There's other places in Scripture in the Gospels that show this, but some of you might remember the story of, of Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man up in a sycamore tree. We won't sing the song, don't worry. But you know the story I'm talking about where Zacchaeus is up in this tree and Jesus walks by and goes, hey, come down. Why? Because I'm going to your house, Zacchaeus. Jesus in the Gospel of John regularly went to the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus with his disciples and Again, there's this constant sort of theme where Jesus not only went to the synagogue, but he also got together and saw the importance of meeting in smaller groups of people. And again, we we beat this drum all the time because here's what happens so many times in a church our size over four services, um, it's easy to kind of blend in. It really is. I mean, you could attend, you know, you know, kind of sit in the corner, sit in the back, heck, sit sit in the front, wherever you want to sit. You could come to a different service every single week. And no one ever really needs to know you. I was talking to some guys yesterday at the recon event, and they were like going, man, I've never even met half of these guys. Well, probably not, because again, we we got four services, and it's easy to just kind of blend in. But what we want to say is, no, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but, but community is important. Community is really, really important. In fact, one of the themes here, I think, is is Hospitality community and hospitality that go hand in hand. Uh, when Matthew meets Jesus, Matthew has to open his home. He's, he's decided, I'm going to open my home. And so what is Matthew going to do? He's got to probably clean up, you know, maybe do some laundry, maybe let, you know, run the vacuum. He's got to get his house presentable for people, which takes a little effort. And then, you know, with, with Matthew's friends, you know, they weren't, they weren't like high society people. They, you know, and so there's probably going to be some guys tracking some dirt in. They're probably going to spill some wine on the carpet. You know, they're going to break some stuff, like uh, wherever they keep the kids, that room's going to be destroyed for sure, right? Matthew has to get his home ready, and it takes a little bit of effort to practice hospitality. But listen, our homes, our homes are not intended to be like these false functional little heavens that we keep, you know, clean and neat and tidy all the time until we can one day get to the real heaven. But no, our, our homes are given to us so that we can open them and share our lives and practice hospitality and build community. Really, that's what the Christian life is about. It's about following Jesus and then sharing your life with other people. And I know this comes more naturally to some of you than others, but I just wanted to challenge you that hospitality and community are a a picture of the gospel. You give people a glimpse of the gospel when you're willing to open up and share your life and practice hospitality and build community together. And there's this theme that happens where we see in the gospel, in Luke in particular, where Jesus was all about connecting people, about connecting with people. He was about connecting, and he allowed people to connect before they were even converted. Jesus allowed people to belong before they believed. And I'm telling you, there are people that will, that will accept an invitation into your home for dinner long before they may step foot inside of a church. And so the first kind of thing I see in both these stories is Jesus saw it as important to get together with smaller groups of people um, and practice hospitality and community. The second uh, kind of big, big point that I think ties these together is in these stories and really in all of Luke 5, you can't help but notice Jesus's compassion and love for sinners. 
I mentioned when we started Luke that Luke himself was a Gentile. And so Luke, more than any other gospel account, he really shows this. He shows that Jesus loved the outsider, the outcast, the broken, the needy, the hurting. Man, he just, it's a theme in his gospel that Jesus, man, he really had this particular compassion for the hurting and the broken and the needy. And we see it in both stories. So in the first story, again, Jesus is leading small group there. And all of a sudden, put yourself in, in, in that place. All of a sudden, there's a noise up on the roof and, and then a hole is formed up on the roof. And then the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there's this bed. They start lowering down right in front of Jesus. You know, and, and listen, you know what Jesus doesn't say? Jesus doesn't go, hey, guys, uh, now is not the time. I am teaching the Bible right now. This is, what I'm doing is really important. So this is not the time. Uh, he doesn't say, well, why don't you all pick him up and put him in the corner, and I'll get to him after Bible study, right? No, Jesus stops what he's doing, and he meets the guy's need. He meets his spiritual need and his physical need. I love this. They lower him down because he's a paralytic, and they want to get him in front of Jesus because they think Jesus might be able to heal the guy. And Jesus looks at him and goes, your sins are forgiven. You know, the guys up on the roof are looking down going, hey, psst, the legs, can we do something about the legs, right? So Jesus goes, hey, just so you'll know that I have the ability to do that, why don't you go ahead and get up and roll up your mat and go home? And the guy just gets up, picks up his bed, and he's like, thanks, right? I mean... Can you imagine being in that? Jesus gave his time. He stopped what he was doing. He was not too busy for people. The next story, you know, the, the story with Levi, the same thing. Levi invites him over to his house, and man, Jesus is like, all right, I'm going. Let's go. Let's hang out. Man, and, and, and again, it's not the crowd. It's not the crowd you would expect. The religious folks had a real hard time with that. Jesus didn't just forgive sinners. Jesus befriended them. That's what we see. He didn't just forgive sinners. He befriended them. Jesus could have chosen anybody he wanted to be in his, on his team. He could have chosen anybody to be his disciple. Jesus was wildly popular at this time. I mean, he could, have, he could have taken resumes and had an interview process and really taken the cream of the crop to be his followers. And he picks a guy like Levi that nobody else wanted. Nobody wanted to, no, no other Pharisee or religious leader would even be friends with Levi, much less call him to be a disciple. Jesus doesn't just forgive them, he befriends them. And this is something that the religious leaders of his day missed. And that is that the invitation to follow Jesus, the invitation to be in the family of God, is not just an invitation to believe some things and behave a certain way. It's an invitation into relationship. See, they thought it was all about you believe these things and then you have to act a certain way. You've got to measure up. But no, the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation into relationship. And we see that in these stories, and we're going to see that continue in other stories throughout Luke. Jesus forgives sinners. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus befriended sinners. He hung out with sinners. You know, the final kind of chord that ties these together is, we, yes, we see the heart of Jesus, but one other thing that these stories both point out is that we also see the opposite of that. We see the lack of compassion and the lack of love among the religious leaders of his day. Luke is, uh, Luke is really setting up these guys to be like the antagonists of the story. They're going to make recurring sort of cameo appearances throughout the Gospel of Luke. And they're always the guys grumbling and complaining and criticizing 
Uh, and so what you see in these stories is just a lack of compassion and a lack of love and a lack of grace over and over and over again. And, and, and listen, if you've been in church for any length of time, you, you know that the Pharisees were the, were the kind of bad guys, right? They're the ones that ultimately, you know, crucified Jesus. And so you, 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 know, you know that. Pharisees are the bad guys. But here's what I, w- I want to just kind of unpack for a second. The Pharisees... Um, we can stand in judgment and condemnation of them, but I would say that, that their goal when they started off was not a bad goal. When they started off, the goal of the Pharisees was that people would take the Word of God seriously, they would hold the Word of God in, in high regard, and that they would then walk in obedience to what God had said. That was what they wanted. As a pastor, that's a really good goal. That's what I want for us, right? I want us to be people that hold God's Word in high regard that then do our best to walk in obedience to what God's Word says. So here's the question. How do they go from that very good goal to being like these really critical, judgmental, condescending, prideful, arrogant guys that don't care about people at all? How does that happen? How do you go from this good goal of we want people to be serious about God's Word to being like these harsh, cynical, critical judgmental, arrogant people. And the reason that's a really important question is because I've been in church all my life. My dad's a pastor. We had to be at church even when nobody else was at church. Like we just, we had to always be at church. I've been around church people my whole life. And I'm telling you, man, it is easy to go from a well-meaning church person to being a Pharisee if you're not careful. I've seen it over and over and over again. And none of us are above it. None of us are above it. It's easy to go from the person that's, man, all in and faithful to the word to being the person with a scowl on your face who's not there to help, but you're there to criticize all the people that are helping, to judge, to argue. I mean, it's easy to drift into that. And so I think it's really important that we ask ourselves, man, how can we, how can we prevent that from happening? And so I think ultimately for the Pharisees, it was that their focus was kind of on the wrong, on the wrong things. And I don't know, I can't pinpoint like when that happened. But I think when you read about the Pharisees and the religious leaders, what you see is their focus is on the wrong thing. It's in the wrong place. And so, number one, they focused on power rather than people. They focused on power rather than people. They were all about power, prestige, authority, status. This is one of the reasons they had such a hard time with Jesus, because people were flocking to Jesus in a way they were not flocking to their religious leaders. So they saw Jesus as a threat. They were like, we got to do something about this guy. He is way too popular. He's more popular than us. It's funny how when you love and care about people, people tend to like you more than when you judge them all. It's weird, right? But they, they didn't like Jesus because Jesus, man, he had bigger crowds than they did. And so they were all about their power. They were all about their power. Listen, power corrupts. Power corrupts. And so they got a little glimpse of the power and people held them in these positions. They were the voices for the Jewish people And it wasn't long before power goes to their head. And they no longer care about the hurting and the broken and the needy people around them that God told them they were to care for. And it became all about achieving more status and more prestige. We've got to be careful that we don't start craving and hungering after power. The second thing that they did is they focused on knowledge rather than love. They focused on mental and cognitive assent and knowledge rather than love. So... I want to be careful because, listen, knowledge and education are not bad things. Those are good things. Knowledge and education are, are great. Pursue that. But 
It's really about how you apply the knowledge and the education that you get. Uh, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, man, they were unbelievably smart. They had memorized, I mean, they could quote more verses than any of us. They literally memorized the Torah, which if you're not familiar with the Torah, it is what most of us would consider some of the more boring parts of the Bible, right? And they memorized it. There were over 600 commandments. They memorized every one of those, plus a lot of the oral commandments that weren't even written down. They memorized them all. Why? So that they could stand in judgment of all the people that weren't doing it right. So they had an unbelievable knowledge. They, they craved and hungered after knowledge, but they, they didn't use their knowledge for the right reasons. Instead, they used their knowledge to condemn, to judge. They were literally put off by broken people. You see it in the stories. In both stories, Jesus changes lives, and rather than rejoice, they're critical and they're angry and they're upset. They are literally put off and annoyed by hurting and broken people. And listen, I'm going to tell you that like a church that doesn't have broken people is a broken church. A church that doesn't have people, man, that are, that are, that are broken is, is messed up. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the lost. That's what we need to be about. I can tell you 15 years ago when we started our church, we were meeting in a home and praying together and dreaming about what a church might look like. And it was our heart and our desire to go, we want to be a place where broken and hurting and needy people can come. I don't care what skeletons they have in their closet. I don't care what baggage they bring in here, but they can come in and feel like there is a God in heaven that loves them and that is for them. And the grace of Jesus at the cross is for everyone, right? That's been our heart from day one. We don't want to create holy little huddles where we're like, okay, once you check all these boxes, then you can be a part of the group. No, we want people to, to feel like, man, Jesus is for them because that's what Jesus says. He came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to call righteous people. He came to call sin sinners to repentance. And I love the fact that in the story, Jesus doesn't even argue with the Pharisees about whether or not they're sinners. So they, they don't look down the street and go, I can't believe you're hanging out with them. And Jesus goes, now, be careful, guys. I mean, let's not call them sinners. Okay, sinners is kind of harsh. No, Jesus goes, you're right, they are sinners. I mean, Matthew's friends would have been a rough crowd. Matthew's friends would, would have been a rough crowd. I mean, the Pharisees are like, they're not at the party. They're looking down the street at what's going on, and they're like, dude, that guy's smoking something, and that guy's drinking something, and that girl doesn't have very many clothes on, and this is just a weird group. This is a rough crowd, and Jesus shouldn't be hanging out with that crowd. And Jesus is like, look, yeah, they are sinners, but, but they recognize their sin. They know they need a Savior. The problem with the religious leaders is they didn't think they were sinners. They didn't understand they needed a Savior. They focused on knowledge rather than love. And then finally, they focused on works rather than grace. The religious leaders focused on works rather than grace. Specifically, they focused on their works rather than God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, a really popular verse written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. Your salvation is not about how good you are. It's about how good God is. It's not about what you have done or can do. It's about what Jesus has done. And so what happens with religious people is they kind of get the cart before the horse when it comes to works and faith. 
They think that like if they, if they do the right things, then God will love them. If they do the right things, then they can have salvation, they can have faith. Rather than going, no, no, my faith, my salvation is by grace of God because of what Jesus did for me, and now the result should be works, right? Works are not bad. Works are actually really important. James is going to say later in the New Testament, James is going to say, you show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Works are important. We don't want to just say, oh, you don't need to do anything. No, there are, works are important, but they are the result of your faith. They're not the cause of it. And religious people, man, they love rules. They, they love laws because they make it all about works, and it's never about grace. The religious leaders focused on works rather than grace. And so in wrapping up, let me just kind of bring it full circle. How do we prevent from, you know, how do we, how do we make sure we don't become Pharisees over time? How do we make sure our focus is on the right things. And I say bring it full circle because my first point was that Jesus saw it as important to get together with smaller groups of people in homes. And I know we beat this drum a lot, but I'm telling you, if you want to make sure you don't just sort of drift into Phariseeism, if you want to make sure your focus doesn't just sort of shift over time, one of the best ways that you can make sure that doesn't happen is you can get around and get involved and get connected into a small group, into a Bible study that you can be a part of regularly and consistently, because in those settings is where people that get to know you, people can help, you can collectively together help make sure the focus is where it needs to be on people, on love, on grace. You can make sure that you're not focusing and pursuing all of the wrong things. I think, I think that'd be one just real practical thing where you can get together and practice hospitality and community on a regular basis. When that happens, man, they, something the Spirit does, it just kind of helps keep us centered and helps keep us focused because people know us, not just our name and our faith. They know us. They begin to know us over time, and they can help keep us centered, help keep us focused so that we don't become the very people that we despise. Let's be honest. None of you that are here today are sitting here going, you know, in 10 or 15 years, I'd really like to be a Pharisee. I really hope to become a Pharisee. No, we, don't. We, we know enough to know that's not a good thing. We don't want that. So we've got to make sure we're putting some boundaries, some steps in place that we don't become the very people that, that Jesus seemed to say some harsh things about. Because again, it's easy to do. It really is. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're grateful today that you love sinners. Jesus, you didn't come to pick the best of the best or the people that really did a good job and measured up. Jesus, you came because the truth is we're all sinners and we all need you. We need your grace. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we deserve. It is something that you freely give. And so, God, we're thankful that in the gospel of Luke, you remind us of that truth, that you love broken and hurting people. And Lord, for those that are here today that are broken and hurting, maybe there's some relationship issues, there's a marriage struggle, problems with children, family, maybe it's a work situation, whatever it is, God, there's a lot of maybe addiction or pain or suffering. I pray today, God, you would remind them that you're a God that is for the hurting and the broken, that you love them deeply, that you sent your son to die for them. God, for those of us that have been in church a really long time, God, I pray you would help protect and prevent us from becoming Pharisees.
God, that you would help our focus to be on what it needs to be, that we wouldn't drift into a Phariseeism and really become the very people that, that we despise. And God, we just confess we need your grace for that as well. So God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, challenge and revive and convict where we need it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.